the latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Hello and welcome to this week's 442 Insider podcast. I'm publisher Andy Jackson. Joining me in the pod is editor Trevor Trahan. Hello. Just the two of us this week. Yep. Back together again. Um... We're going to kick off looking at some of the, the main Australian news. We're going to break up the first uh, two sections to look at Australian news and world news as uh, both leagues are really sort of uh, preparing themselves for their launch. Uh, plenty of transfer action going on, although not so much in the Premier League, but we'll, um, we'll get to that. First of all, we're going to kick off with Australian news, um, which has a Premier League slant to it. Mark Schwarzer, Trev, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. looks like Arsenal are up in the stakes a little bit um, and throwing in a sort of potential coaching role switch for Schwarzer after his, uh, after his playing days are over. So um, they're obviously uh, still in the hunt, still keen. Um, obviously Schwarzer's boss at Fulham, Roy Hodgson, has now departed for Liverpool. Um, and still some doubt as to whether Martin Yole will actually take over. So this is looking more likely, you'd think. Yeah, I mean... What a dream role for Schwartz because you're always thinking about what you're going to do um, after you finish playing. So, for him to get a coaching role alongside playing at one of the biggest teams in Europe, that's ideal. The source on this is The Sun in the UK, which is probably normally right. About, <laughs> about as reliable as asking our receptionist. Um, but yeah, if, if that is right, that's brilliant. I mean, you think about when Van der Sar went to Manu. I mean, Manu had so many problems for years um, replacing Schmeichel. You know, it's a real dodgy. Uh, keepers and just couldn't get it right and it was holding them back a little bit and they ended up going for Van der Sar it wasn't a long term investment but has done a brilliant job there you know went on to win the Champions League again with him in goal and I think Arsenal might look to do a, a similar thing with Schwarzer well I mean it, lo- it looks like the, the only thing stopping this is uh, is the sort of difference of 2 million between Fulham's valuation and what Arsenal's original offer was which mm. was 2 million and Fulham are looking for 4 million I think 4 million for a 37 year old is, is a bit rich but um but I suppose if Arsenal really want it, they'll um, they'll get their man. Um, and obviously at 37, this is probably Mark's last chance to uh, to play regular Champions League football. So I don't think there'd be anyone in football really, apart from the die-hard sort of Fulham fans, that would begrudge him that move. So uh, mm. we'll watch that with interest. And certainly, mate, it'd be great to have an Aussie at one of the big four. We've been saying it for ages, haven't we? That's yeah. probably the one thing that you know, we've really been missing. So yeah, it'd be great short to win there. Um, sticking with uh, some of the bigger names in Australian football, Harry Kuehl has uh, signed a one-year extension to his contract with Galatasaray. Um, I sort of got the feeling that he was looking for more than that, um, and, but I guess his position, his bargaining position was weakened from the fact that um, he'd only played a few minutes of football this year and obviously didn't get the run out he'd probably have been hoping for at the World Cup. Mm. Um, but still a good move, you know, a good place for him to be. He's obviously enjoying it there. Um, Trev, any thoughts on that? Yeah, just a perfect level for him, isn't it? As he proved, you know, the last couple of years, he's he's really settled in there well. And in terms of of what he's up to in terms of fitness and perhaps level these days, I think that's a, a perfect league for him. You know, they're still a big club, still playing in Europe, and they're a good bet for the title again as well. And does that one that extra one year potentially make a move to the A League a year closer? Yeah, I was thinking that. Um, no. Really? <laughs> no, I don't think he'll come back after. Well, a year. you spoke to him a few times. Then. Yeah, yeah, I, I get the impression that you know he will come back, but I think we'll probably be looking 34, 35. Yeah. I'm not sure what sort of shape he'll be in by then, but no, I, I think you're looking at at least another two years over in Europe, even if that means going to another league after the Turkish league, be that the French or Belgian league or something. But no, he, he won't be coming back. He doesn't need the money, does he? 
No, yeah, no, I mean, he's, he's one of the wealthiest Australian sportsmen. So, yeah, um, I guess it, you know, at some point, is it about you know moving to another different country and another different league and having to prove yourself all over again? We know his family's not with him in in Turkey, in Turkey you know. Yeah. So maybe in another year, the A League and coming back to Australia and everything that that brings might be a bit more of a, an appeal to him. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, um, Rangers are in town, uh, obviously for the Festival of Football. It kicks off this weekend, but also they've been linked with um, potential move in the Scottish media for Brett Holman. <laughs> I love these stories. Love it. Someone who managed to score at a World Cup has been pretty much linked, but yeah. just based on that, really. Yeah. Um, do you think there's anything in this? I, no. I mean, there's no quotes. Um, <laughs> I guess we might have, a, you know, I guess someone's going to ask the question. Uh, I'm sure Aidan will probably ask the question of Walter Smith. On, I know there's press conferences over today and tomorrow for the Festival of Football. So um, if there is any interest there, I, I guess that will come out over the next few days. I'd but, um, be surprised if Walter Smith even knows who Brett Holman is, let alone about to sign him. Yeah, and I'm, I'm also not sure that it's uh, it would be the right move for him, to be totally honest. I mean, I, I, you know, he's probably in a better place in Holland, playing first tier in Holland than going Suits to the Scottish Premier Suits his style, doesn't it? Fits him with the Socceroos a little bit as well, yeah. so now I'm much better staying where he is. Yeah, and I'd rather see him stay in Holland than go and play in the Scottish League, play kick and rush up in Scotland. Yeah. Um, great story that came out overnight, um, which gives backpackers <laughs> Australia-wide hope. And that is the news that uh, Sydney SC have signed Hiro Moriasu, who, who was an amateur footballer living in a Sydney hostel and has been trialling with them. Um, so, he's, and uh, yeah, he's signed from Leichhardt Tigers in the New South Wales Premier League. So um, he turned up there for training three months ago um, and Sydney SC have signed him. So uh, it's a great story. Whether he'll cut in the A-League, obviously, is still to, to be seen. Versatile midfielder, apparently, um, although Sydney seem to have a fair few of those. Mm. Um, former J3, so third tier in Japan, which doesn't <laughs> sound as promising. I'm not sure if it's as great a story. As, you know, it's a nice story, yeah. but there's a bit of you that thinks, well, you know, people like this are walking into the A-League. Does that say a little bit about the standard as, as well? But when they're saying new, you know, obviously they put out the release saying we're going to announce a new signing, I just assumed it was a striker. Well, know, yeah, apparently they're they saying they've, they've tried... They've looked at 80 players for that striking role. Right. Um, but, I mean, if they're, if they're looking at backpack hostels now, then that, that's easily <laughs> done. You just head down to Noah's in Bondi. You can get through 80 strikers in yeah. a couple of weeks. Again, a little bit but I, I guess, you know, if you look back, though, you look at how influential Terry McFlynn's been in, his, in mm. the five years of the A-League. And, you know, his last club before Senior C was Morecambe, I think, wasn't it? In the, yeah. You know, playing non-league in England. So, and also, so they are there, and, and I guess it's how he steps up and... You know, and and adapts to to probably a, a you know probably a bit more physical football than he's used to. Yeah, probably. Um, but I would say Dave Kitson in the Premiership. Do you remember he was stacking yeah. shelves? I think it might be Tesco's back in the UK in his early twenties, and yeah. he ended up being a Premiership footballer. So yeah. it does happen. Back stacking them in his early thirties. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the odds were released. Um, Very interesting. This I found. Yeah, Tab Sports Bet um, sent us their latest odds, and it, and it seems that they're uh, they've gone for the for the big guns again, and, and suggesting that it's going to be a duke out between Sydney FC and Melbourne Victory again. Do we see it that way? I mean, um, not... It's quite interesting getting the predictions from Simon Hill and Michael Lynch. Oh, I've done mine yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to do list. Um, they both tipped Perth to win the grand final, which I found Perth. quite yeah. Which I found quite interesting. Um, I mean, they've retained pretty much the same players and added Robbie Fowler. Yeah. Um, and I think everyone's expecting Fowler to sort of 
be the difference up there. But I remember saying this last season as well, that when they had Sajoski and Burns and Coyne all coming back, that no one was going to be able to stop Perth. And, you know, they really have to do that this season. So they're an interesting price at 9-1, to one, um, back behind a few people. But I'd, I'd leave Melbourne Victory alone at 4.25. I don't think that's, that's much good value. But, you know, some of the outsiders, um, I think the Jets are overpriced at 26 believe they're 26 yeah um, I, I, you know, I'm not saying they're going to go on, on and win it but I don't think they're Brisbane as far out Brisbane and the Jets are at 26 yeah exactly and you know Hart who've obviously done well at a, assembling a, a good side seem quite short for a, a team that's never played a game in the A-League to be 7.5 to be you know shorter than the Gold Coast who have had a season to, to blend and probably got just as good a squad slightly further out at 8 so if, if you're going to have a punt, I suppose Perth Glory at nine's not a bad option, but the Jets at 26, I don't think that's too bad. I mean, uh, Branko Kalina will, will get that lot playing, and they've got a, still got a few decent players known at this level. So mm. Yeah. And Melbourne Heart, I mean, do we see see them challenging, potentially? Finals. Hmm. I mean, Definitely Skoko's finals. come out and said that, you know, finals is the is the minimum sort of aim. Yeah, yeah I, I think top four. Fourth, yeah. probably. Third or fourth. I can't see him breaking into the top two in their first season. But, yeah, they've certainly got the players to, to sweep people aside. Um, and the final local story we'll look at, um, which, you know, is not great to see, was Shane Smeltz, um, who we reported last week was heading off, uh, you know, exercising his get-out clause with uh, Gold Coast to head to uh, Shandong Luneng. Um no quicker than that, he was coming back. I, I like think he lasted story. four days. I like getting over there and realising that industrial China isn't as good yeah, as the Gold Coast. Yeah, five days he lasted and then realised that it would be near impossible for wife Nick and his two children to sell. Sort of makes me think that maybe you should have gone and had a look before he signed the contract. It's a bit like, <laughs> At least we've got this job for you. Like, if it was us, we've got this job for you. Yeah. you know, it's, like, it's, it's a country that... Wouldn't you go and have a look at the office first and yeah. say, you know, okay, am I happy working here? Is it a good environment? Yeah. And it does, it does smack of a bit of unprofessionalism on his behalf. I have to say, yeah, you know, and it's not, you know, it's not a great look for uh, for other Aussies looking to move into Asia because certainly Australian um, players will be tarred with this brush that you know they can't be trusted, unprofessional, um, and also it leaves him in a bit of a bit of limbo with the Gold Coast because obviously he's up to left and now he's come back with a little bit of his tail between his legs so I, I was thinking it was obviously known about Schmelzi's contract to the Gold Coast that they had this 300,000k release fee on him and everyone said well that's stupid especially when he went to the World Cup now he's gone out of that contract and he's come back if he signs a new one can they put a higher can they put a higher thing maybe. so for Gold Coast it could be absolutely perfect because they yeah, could have their the star player, player yeah. you know with a bigger release and, and back at the club so still good good chance of him leaving I think But it just reminded me and you guys you remember this transfer as well because it involved West Ham so when Villa signed David Unsworth from West yeah, Ham yeah yeah his wife his, wasn't happy wasn't it because his wife wasn't happy with him living in London mm. and being so far away and so he signed for Villa and never actually played for us because uh he in the first week, his wife realised how long it was taking him to get home from training from Birmingham to uh, to Merseyside, and wasn't happy with that either. So he ended up going back to Everton. Yeah. So yeah, so it does happen even at the uh, even at the top level as well. You got to uh, make sure the wife's happy, haven't you? Obviously. Yeah. So, but trouble. I guess the good news for us as supporters is we're we're, we're odds on to see Shane Smeltz uh, in the A League for another season, which is good news. Yeah. Um. So that's all. Section one. We'll be back after this break, where we're going to go further afield. Um, and look at what's been making news in, in the world of football, so Premier League and beyond. 
You can provide relief in times of crisis. You can help care for the elderly and isolated living alone. Someone help me, she won't wake up. You can show commitment when others turn away. You can do more than you think. Please donate today to the Red Cross Calling Appeal. Call 1-800-811-700. Visit redcross.org.au or donate at Coles Supermarkets. The latest on the world game. This is 442 Insider. Hello, welcome back to this week's 442 Insider podcast. We're going to look at uh, some of the main uh, breaking stories in the world of football outside Australia. Um, we're going to start with the Premier League. Um, it's been a bit quiet, Trev, really. You sort of expected an avalanche of moves after the World Cup was finished. You always expect it to be a slow start in a World Cup year mm. because people uh, are waiting to see you know, what the valuation of players is after the World Cup rather than before. Mm. But we've still not seen the flurry of activity we thought. No, exactly. I mean, Man City's unsurprising. I don't think people are quite as excited because they're expecting them to go out and, and buy the players they have, like Boateng and um, the Spanish winger. His name's just a David Silva. David Silva. And, I mean, they've bought Yaya Torre for 28 million, David Silva for 24 million, and Boateng for 11 million. Mm. Um, and obviously, are rumoured to be offering 25 to 30 million for Balotelli and 20 to 25 million for James Milner so it looks like they'll comfortably spend more than 100 million pounds again yeah. in the transfer market yeah that's, that sounds about right we were saying last season with the exception of Adam Johnson they didn't seem to have much penetration down the wings because they didn't, didn't used to use Wright Phillips um, to you know all of his ability and I suppose oh, they had Bellingham on the other side but you know they've really got the players to, to compete now and if they don't make the top four that would be a disgrace but other rumours are knocking around Drogba and um, Potentially going to City as well. I mean, I yeah. think his agent said that he wouldn't um, he wouldn't rule it out. If I was Chelsea and they came in with something like thirty million for a guy in his early thirties, I'd um, I'd let him go to be honest with you. Yeah. Try <laughs> try and you know invest in someone <coughs> else, someone elsewhere. But I guess it's who who you can get in with that money. You know, because yeah, you they're get... going to want a top striker, and you'd have to say that you know with Villa committing himself to Barcelona, Torres injured. You know, yeah. that's the sort of. Yeah, that's the calibre they'd be looking at, and there aren't too many of those around. Yeah, I, um, s- I see West Ham have done that classic, someone who played a little bit all right at the World Cup, that Mexican guy, we've signed straight away oh, yeah. for four million. But we well, see at least you've signed someone. Villa, the only team in the Premier League not really? to have bought anyone in yet. Oh, lucky you got that massive not squad, free isn't transfer, it? <laughs> nothing. So the smallest squad in the Premier League uh, has now just stayed the smallest squad in the Premier League. That we'll see. Uh, what were you expecting? Oh, I don't know. I, was, I don't know. A couple, Scott you know. Scott Parker, maybe, something like that. Wow, that would be upsetting. Yeah. Um, Roy Hodgson's uh, sort of made his move at Liverpool uh, early and has snared Joe Cole on a, on a free transfer, but a very big contract. I think it's about 19 million over the four years. So, yep. nice move for Joe Cole. Um, obviously enticed, you would imagine, by the promise of you know, consistent first team football, which he wasn't getting at Chelsea. Bit of an odd one though, and you think that effectively it's been a swap deal with Ben Ayun going to Chelsea mm. and Cole going the other way. So Two I would players. say Cole probably a little better than Ben Ayun, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So from a Chelsea perspective, you've bought in Ben Ayun and paid six million or whatever for him, four million, mm. and you've let arguably a better player in that position go to the 
to your rivals. I think che- it seems an odd move to me. I think Chelsea are thinking that they've got Ben Ayum is a player who's going to be happy to sit on the bench for them, whereas yeah. Cole wasn't. Yeah, so no, that's he, cool. he's probably a, a, de- a decent squad player. Joe Cole's an interesting player. I was reading a bit on the Guardian saying about. You know, a lot of fans have a soft spot for him because he's one of those players, I think particularly English fans, because he's that sort of creativity we've not really seen since Gaza. But I remember him emerging at West Ham and I just thought he was going to go on to be the best in the world. He was unbelievable. We won the FA Youth Cup final 9-0. Um, Is that with Richard Garcia? In the Richard same Garcia yeah. and uh, Michael yeah. Frante were, were, yeah. were both involved then. Carrick in that team too. It was over two legs, it wasn't one game. And Cole scored that, in that game against Spain when I think England won 8-0 and Cole scored seven of them or something. You really thought he was going to be that good, but you know, he had a little bit, mainly from you know Mourinho when he was there, had his style changed a little bit. They bulked him up, they made him a little bit more defensive. He never got a run in the team. And if he goes to Liverpool and you know they give him this chance to a little bit more of a free reign and go back to what he was doing when he was emerging as a player, he'd be absolutely brilliant. But this is his last chance at 28 to do that, really. Yeah. Um, it's had the effect, I'm sure, that Hodgson was hoping and that Steven Gerrard has come out and... Uh... And said that he would definitely be staying, um, mm-hmm. and you know that the signing of Joe Cole was a great sort of intent as to where the club's going. So I think he's a likable guy as well, Joe Cole. Yeah, he's Liverpool, quite popular. Yeah. So uh, Liverpool fans uh, worldwide will be pleased about that. Although the silence from Fernando Torres would still be a, a bit of a cause for concern because he's still not come out and really said where his intentions lie. Obviously, he's, he's not fit at the moment, which might actually. Uh, as we talked about last week, it'd be a blessing in disguise for Liverpool because that injury may take him past the transfer deadline and I can't see many clubs paying £50 million for someone that, that is injured. No. Um, unless it was Villa. Uh, other news for Liverpool is Mascherano um, remains sort of on the, on the verge of leaving talk of a £25 million move to, to Inter to follow Benitez. Um, Benitez seems to be the only manager in the world that rates Mascherano a £25 million player but it's a bit over the top he's quite important to Liverpool especially you know people talk about just Gerard and Torres which they pretty much are but you know Mascherano would be the third best player behind those two so if they lose him and that's going to be insane especially with Joe Cole there because Mascherano you know should be there to to hit people and um, free up the space for Gerard and Cole and if they lose him then I'm not quite sure what they're going to do. Yeah. Not rely on that useless Lucas. Yeah, well, Hodgson um, obviously left a hole at Fulham. Did an amazing job there last season, uh, getting them to the Europa League final. And Fulham is a bit of an on-again, on off-again move for for ex-Spurs manager Martin Yole, who uh, who just uh, failed to win the the league in Holland with Ajax. Actually, got pipped at the post by Steve McLaren's Twente. Um, apparently, he's agreed personal terms, but Ajax are refusing to negotiate on the compensation. Hmm. Strange so, uh, one. Do we think this will happen? I mean, obviously, yeah. you know, Yol's got some good pedigree in the Premier League. He's probably unlucky to leave, you know, to be sacked by Spurs when he was. I don't think he did that bad a job there. No, no, I, I like him as manager and as a guy. I, I'm, I'm pleased that he's coming back. He will come back. I think, you know, I don't think I can seriously consider keeping a coach that wants to go to another yeah. team and expecting him to fire up the players for a coming yeah. campaign. So he will go. It just sounds like they're just trying to hold out for a little bit more money. Yeah. Which is something that was one of Fulham's criteria that they didn't want to have to pay out a lot. So that's why a lot of available managers like Sengor and Eriksson um, were sort of favourites of the job. Mind you, he seems to be favourite for every single job, doesn't he? Um, so yeah, they're probably paying out a little bit more than they'd want to. Yeah, tough, tough shoes to fill there at Fulham because Fulham are not the biggest spending team, and um, no. you know Hodgson, you know, probably got them punching well above their weight last season. So they, 
realistic expectation he's, he's not going to be to reach the European final again. And, and also, I, th- I think as to that, that Europe, not taking anything away from Hodgson, what he did at Fulham, it was ridiculous to turn relegation, you know, threatened team into Europa League finals. But they did finish 12th last season. Um, and that run to the cup would have taken its toll a little bit and they can concentrate on the league. But, you know, there's not... Com- Complete quality throughout. They've got a strong defensive unit, and you know they're good at coming back into games. But if they lost someone like a Clint Dempsey or someone like that, then uh, they might be struggling a little bit more. Yeah. Um, a little bit further afield, uh, Thierry Henry obviously has signed with the New York Red Bulls. Going to play soccer ball in the US. <laughs> uh, he'll be scoring his fair share of PKs next season. Um, you know, strategically, the MLS are looking. This is a, this is another sort of. Uh, you know, along with Beckham and, and Landon Donovan, he is another sort of uh, sign of the growing stature of the game in America. Is it that, or is it just that they've got a couple of players that they're paying a lot of money to? But this has been happening for decades, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Players yeah. go, Bobby From Moore the go over there. Um, Nazel. Pele. Pele was George there. Best. George Best, yes. Bobby Moore. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's been happening for decades. It's, it's nothing new, and each time one of these players signed, it's all about, you know, a new... Um, a new stage for the for the game over there. Look, you can't be complaining because he he has been one of the, probably the top three strikers in Europe over the last decade or so. So yeah, I mean it, it is good for the league. It's interesting about you know how they're going to uh, pay him. Shirt sales, I think, will be the main thing they'll be trying to push, won't they? Everywhere they try yeah. and pick up on people that are sort of popular well, all, all the way around the world. Stadium as well, aren't they? So, uh, what they call in the soccer specific stadium. So yeah. Um, because I did that, I think they used to do they play used to play at Giant Stadium, I think. Yeah. The Red Bulls. Now they've got their own stadium. I mean certainly the, you know, they're fifteen years in there from the from the launch of the MLS, which mm. was post the ninety four World Cup. And um and you've got to say that they're they're doing things the right way, you know, they're they they're building their own stadiums, they're being realistic in their expectations, I think, you know, like mm. the you know, they're averaging what, fifteen, twenty thousand um, and you know they're still in the expansion mode. There was new teams last season in Seattle, a new team this season, Vancouver. So uh, they, they seem to be going about things the right way, which is sort of slow and steady. Yeah. Um, and I do think you know there's the similarities obviously between yeah, like, here yeah. and and there. And, and, and if anything, the MLS has even more control mm. um, than the FFA does here in the fact that all the players are actually paid centrally out by the MLS they're not paid by the clubs Yeah, and the MLS hold the contracts and can move players around So well, we um, talked about this isn't the FFA getting 11 marquees yeah, and then drafting, drafting them out yeah, and, and drafting them out I, I don't know what their financial situation is but you know I think that would be a great way of doing it if, if they could get 11 really really good marquees in then it would be a great idea yeah certainly um, I know you're going to be speaking aren't you, to the, the, the CEO of uh, of Vancouver, who's the ex CEO yep. of Spurs, about you know he's he's a real expert in um, in football clubs using social media. Mm. Um, so we're going to be speaking to him soon, uh, Paul Barber. Yep. Um, about his experience and, and and some ideas he's been here recently talking at a digital conference and uh, get some ideas as to how the A League can learn from what the MLS has been doing. Mm. Uh, anyway, that's it for part two. We'll be back uh, after the break when Trev caught up with Newcastle Jets. Jeremy Brocky to talk to him about the forthcoming A-League season. Hello, I'm Renee Geyer. The National Film and Sound Archive is asking you to nominate your choice for the Sounds of Australia, the National Registry of Recorded Sound. What recordings do you think are important to Australia? To nominate, go to the website www.nfsa.afc.gov.au. 
back to 442 Insider. Hello and welcome back to the 442 Insider podcast. This week we're joined by a recent Newcastle Jets recruit and a member of the All Whites Heroic World Cup team, Jeremy Brocky. How are you doing today, Jeremy? Very good, thank you. Yourself? Very well, thanks. Um, fresh back from South Africa, summarise the experience for us. Yeah, it was uh, it's a dream come true. I dreamed of um, going to a World Cup as a little kid and representing my country and uh, to make it come true and go to a World Cup and uh, get on the pitch was, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, I mean, what realistic expectations did you have when the All Whites first landed in South Africa? I think um, as a team, we're always we're always positive that if we play to the best of our ability, um, then we can surprise a few people, and um, that's what we ended up doing. But I think most people outside of our playing group and close friends and family didn't uh, really expect us to to get much from the tournament and just go there and be. Be, um, be a team and make up the numbers but we certainly proved uh, a lot of people wrong and all the boys are very proud of the efforts. Uh, you know, you mentioned getting on the pitch obviously you got your chance to play at a World Cup in the final stage of the last group game against Paraguay. Talk us through what it felt like when you were first told that you were going to get on. Yeah, I think it was about 10-15 um, minutes into the second half and the assistant came down and said uh, go, go through your paces um, you're about to come on and uh, so, so I went through and got a little bit nervous, not too much, but then when I seen the assistant call out my name and shout me to come over, then the nerves started uh, pounding a little bit. But um, yeah, I was standing there waiting for, for Chris Killen to come off and uh, the heart was beating quick, but as soon as I moved over uh, that, that white line and got onto the field, the nerves went pretty quickly and I uh, had a good uh, first touch, which definitely helped control him as well. Mm. So, I mean, uh, you know, during your time on the pitch, were you sort of thinking inside, you know, I'm actually playing in a World Cup final here? Did that play on your mind at all? Uh, not not too much, as as much as you, you'd like to think. Um, well, I thought, yeah, I guess in a way, uh, it wasn't just another, another game. It was uh, playing on the world stage in front of millions of people watching at the biggest tournament in the world. And uh, it went through my mind a little bit, but... Uh, once I was out there, I was just concentrating on what I had to do and try and take a part or be a part of, of a goal that would have took us through to the next round. But uh, unfortunately, that didn't happen. Um, but it's definitely something that will stay for me for the rest of my life. Mm, yeah, the All Whites left the tournament unbeaten, the only team to do so. Um, how does it feel when you recall that, that fact that you're always going to have that to your name? Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty special. I, I went into training the next bo- uh, next day with the with the Jets and um, gave all the boys a little a little note that we were the only team unbeaten at the World Cup and they started giving me a little bit of shit saying you only played three games and whatever but um, yeah to be the only team un- unbeaten at a World Cup is pretty special. Yeah, I mean some people are saying that um, New Zealand's performances at the World Cup prove that the A League and A League players are not as far behind the pack as many suspects. What do you think the Kiwi campaign has done for the A-League? Yeah, definitely. I think it's gave it a huge lift. Um, not only was most of our players come out of the... Um, well, not most of them, but a few of them come out of the A-League. We also had a couple of amateurs in our team as well. But um, to all people that say that the A-League's not, not a high standard or, or got their critics about it, um, New Zealand definitely showed that um, it's up there with... 
but the best and um, you can produce competitive teams and competitive players and good players from, from the A-League. Mm. In that respect, do you think that Australia and PIM got it wrong in not selecting any A-League players? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not too sure what, um, how, he, how he picked his team, or, but um, there's, there's definitely players uh, in, the, in, the, in the A-League from, from Australia that, that are good players and I'm sure um, maybe the next time the World Cup comes around, there might be a few more A-League players in the Australian team. Tell us about Ricky Herber. How important was he to the All-Whites campaign? Yeah, he's, he's a good good manager and uh, he's, he's been around for, took that group for about six years now and right from the very first game he took out, took charge um, against Australia. He wanted to, to take the New Zealand to the World Cup and he worked hard and kept mostly the same bunch of players for the, for the whole six years, which um, I guess helped... Uh, the players, uh, when, when we came to play on the field as well, we knew how everyone played and what, what we liked to play, how we liked to play the game. And uh, he's, a, he's a good, good player, person to have around. And obviously, he's, he was, went to a World Cup himself, so uh, he, he passed on some good advice to the boys before the games. And along with him and the two assistant coaches, uh, they had the right blend, and the players enjoyed themselves. You didn't uh, give Ricky any comments about how how you lot fared better than he did in '82. <laughs> sure. Um, on to the A-League. You're at the Newcastle Jets now. Um, how are you settling into life there? Yeah, I'm absolutely loving it here um, from day one. I only went to one training session before I headed off, but um, uh, after the after we came back from the World Cup, I couldn't wait to get back into training and be around the boys. It's a great bunch of boys. And uh, Branko, along with the, the rest of the coaching staff, are all uh, good and uh, I enjoy working under them. And I'm looking forward to my next two years here at the club. And I've found a place now to, to move into and my girlfriend came down on the weekend so I'm settling in very well and um, definitely looking forward to the season starting. Mm, um, tell us more about your departure from Fury because it must have been a very unsettling time for the players when you saw how much the, the club was struggling. Yeah, I, th- oh, I only had a one-year contract so it was a bit easier for me than some of the other boys but um, I, I enjoyed my time up there but... Uh, they couldn't really give me an answer, a yes or no, whether they were going to keep me or, or not. So at the end of the day, I had to look after myself. And Branko approached me um, and gave me the confidence that he wanted me to uh, take off as a player in the next two years under him. And um, what he had to say to me and the couple of chats we had um, made my decision pretty quickly that I wanted to be here in Newcastle. And um, yeah. Mm. Um, Newcastle are your fourth A-League team your time at Newcastle Knights um, Sydney FC and, and the Fury do you hope that this deal is going to be more of a long term one? Yeah definitely I think um, obviously the other clubs I've just had one year at and um, signing two, two years here was definitely a big factor of, of moving um, it's good to have a couple of years security and um, really uh, I'm just happy that I'm not going to be bouncing around to another club after after one year like I have been recently but um, no, I'm looking forward to, to taking off as a player and hopefully in the next um, leading up to the season I can carry on some good form that I've showed in pre-season so far and I, I can stick a few more goals in the back of the net Sure, I mean the bookies have the Jets at the second longest odds for the A-League title which, which I personally think is um, 
uh, quite long and, and fairly unfair on you lot. Do, do you think that people are underestimating you for the, the coming campaign, and how do you think you can use that to your advantage? Yeah, I think we can definitely use that to our advantage. Um, people can can write us off all we want. It's only going to give us the confidence to go out there and prove people wrong. And I think uh, the, the signings that Branko's made, along with keeping most of the squad from last year, we've actually got a very good side and, um, and good depth. Um, so everyone in the training is giving it 100%. Uh, we've got a couple more friendly games before the first game of the season, and you can tell that no one's place is safe at the moment, which is which is a good thing for Branko, to, Branko and his coaching staff to have and keeps all the boys on their toes and um, we're really looking forward to to hopefully being named in that starting 11 for the first game against Adelaide. Mm. Have you laid down any expectations for the coming campaign? How far do you think this Jets team can go? We haven't uh, spoke too much too much about it just yet but obviously getting into the finals will be the, the first little goal and then anything can happen from there but uh, we just want to Play, play, play good football and we've got the players to play good football and um, we're, we're looking we've had three pre-season games so far and we're, we've been improving uh, by every game and hopefully we can keep keep uh, improving leading up to the first game of the season Great stuff Jeremy thanks for chatting to the 442 Insider podcast today Not a problem I've enjoyed it You can provide relief in times of crisis you can help care for the elderly and isolated living alone. Someone help me, she won't wake up! You can show commitment when others turn away. You can do more than you think. Please donate today to the Red Cross Calling Appeal. Call 1-800-811-700. Visit redcross.org.au or donate at Coles Supermarkets. Hi, I'm Archie Thompson of the Melbourne Victory, and you're listening to the 444 444442 Insider Podcast. Welcome back to this week's 442 Insider Podcast. That was Trevor catching up with the Newcastle Jets, Jeremy Brocky. Now, section four, we thought we'd um, we thought we'd have a look at and, and get our own views on um, on the big debate that really has been raging from the World Cup, which was. Um, the introduction of video technology. Now, overnight, FIFA have, uh, have said that they've given the green light for an extra official at each end for the Champions League games. And this is what they trialled in the in the Europa League, Trev, last season. Mm. Um, didn't really see them do an awful lot. But then again, I suppose, if you look at the World Cup, there were 64 games and probably only two games where, you know, the, the goal line technology or that technology would probably have been used... Uh, which would have been Lampard's goal and Tevez's ridiculous own goal header against um, against Mexico. So, do we think that this is a step, you know, far enough? Where do you stand on this with the extra officials? Yeah, I mean, the reason why people want to bring in video technology is because it will re- remove some of that human error. Extra officials is still going to be human error. I mean, yeah. when you look at that Lampard goal, you think. You know, how, how did the ref not see it? How did the lino not see yeah. it? You know, two of them managed not to, and it's just as likely a third wouldn't have seen it either. So even though it will sort of get, you know, some cases and it stays away from going towards video technology, which I don't particularly support, um, it, you have to wait and see. But, you know, if, the, if there is a mistake and there's an extra official there, people would be really asking about the quality of the officials. Well, in true FIFA style, they've sort of dodged the issue uh, on the video side of things by saying that there will be no uh, progression on video technology until... 
they, they meet with the IFAB in October. So that's conveniently well after all the seasons have started. Yeah. Uh, and after the European Championship qualifiers have started. Yeah. Um, interesting enough, the IFAB, and this is quite interesting, these, like FIFA and the IFAB jointly uh, manage and, and maintain the rules of the game, laws of the game. And do you know who the IFAB is? Nope. It's basically a re- representatives from the four home countries, so England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. <laughs> right. That's it. So it goes back to the, you know, obviously the old, the olden days when yeah. football came from the British Isles, and that's it. Yeah. So it's FIFA and uh, and the British home FAs. So got the best people on the job then. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, so okay, let's let's talk about let's talk about two things. Um, firstly, video technology. Mm-hmm. Where do you stand on this, Trev? Should it should it be introduced? And and if you think it should, in what areas and to what extent? Sure, I'm against it, generally speaking. Really? Yeah, against it. Yeah. Um, mistakes that officials make and controversial things like, let me take the Lampard goal, for example, is good for the game. Now, the reason why it's good for the game is because everyone was talking about it, and particularly living in Australia, where, you know, this may sound like a strange point, but where you're trying to promote the game, that Lampard goal was everywhere. But and that, everyone was talking about it. And but everyone, if that would have happened to Australia, that would turn more people off football here than on. Because they would say, we've got video umpires in cricket, we've got video refs in rugby union, rugby league, that's why they're better games, football's in the dark ages, you know, why are we following this sport? Because, like, the human the human error, a part of it, if it's from the players, if it's from the officials, is one of the most interesting things about football. Now, I might know that more because, you know, perhaps I've been watching it for longer than some people who might be getting into the game more recently. Yeah, if it did happen to Australia, there would be outrage. Well, what about if it happened in the final? What about if that decision I don't think people, was at nil-nil and then the other team score in the last minute and they win the World Cup? And I mean, are you, you going to stop watching football because they made that Lampard mistake? No, of course I'm not, but I'm probably at the extreme, you know. As yeah. in it's, you know and I, I mean, I, but also, I just think, you know, there's so much pressure mm. on the players and, and on the coaches and I just think, you know, it's not fair, you know. It's mm. like, but... I mean, I sound like, like I, the problem is, is if you bring it in for goal line technology, where does it stop? Yeah. You know, as in, and, and what's different about football is that a goal can come from anywhere. Yeah. You know, in cricket, there's a run out and then the game stops and yeah. then there's another ball and then there's another delivery and each one is a break in the game. Mm. Whereas in football, it might be a throw in near your own corner flag and if the ref gives it to the attacking side and it was actually your throw and you could have broke away and scored mm. so where do you stop how far do you go back and also the problem is is that sometimes we're dealing with decisions that weren't given not wrong decisions yeah so for instance player goes down in the box mm. play continues and has gone down the other end and you actually see that it was a foul what happens mm. then does the video referee stop the game no, I mean, you know, it's like if you're going to introduce it, the only thing it should be for is for the goal line stuff. But then, what's the criteria for when you go to video? I mean, obviously Lampard's going to be going. It's a goal. It's a goal, and then you go in there. But then you can misuse it. You know, something could happen. They could go on the break, and they go naturally. I want to appeal that for the goal, 
and that could break play and stop down, you know, yeah. stop a counter attack. So is that going to be fair? So setting up the rules on how it would work would be complicated because it's going to throw out, you know, the rest of the game. But it is the only way you can bring it in. Um, I mean, FIFA have been saying they haven't got the technology or that, you know, they're not able to. Well, we've put all a got the technology to see it in our exactly, living yeah. room. So we saw it a minute after the Lampard thing. Yeah, well, now they've got super slow mo, and that. It's not, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm sort of like, I know, I know it would be radical, but I'm sort of in favour of the sort of challenges, you know, where like in tennis. Each coach can have two challenges during the game because that allows for the fact that the critical decision could be in the first minute because mm. that's the other thing about football is the, the critical decision could be in the first 30 seconds yeah. and the game could finish 1-0 yeah. you know, so I would potentially throw it over to the coach to say right you've got two challenges mm. and it can be a throw in yeah. can be a penalty, could be an offside, can be any decision, mm. given or not given, but you get two in the 90 yeah. minutes, and I mean, that's it. You have to restrict, and I know it's a completely different sport, but in NBA, they can only appeal certain things in the last minute and a half. They can't appeal it for the rest of the game. Yeah. That last minute and a half lasts half an hour, because they're appealing every few seconds yeah. and stuff. Yeah, you yeah, have to put a limit. limit. You know, like in yeah. tennis, they only have a certain amount, and in cricket, it's the same. You have a certain amount, and once you've gone over it, yeah. you, know, you, you can't have any more appeals. And it's, it adds to the, sort of the, the skill of the game in those ones, because... You know they have to be aware of, of when to call for it and, and when not. Yeah. Um, and the danger is you hold on to it in the last ten minutes. There's no contentious decisions, and so again, it's actually putting the coach in control of it to yeah. judge the momentum of the game and when he thinks he sides on top or when they might need it. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I think that would add an extra dimension to the game rather than take away something from the game it would actually add in another element that mm. the coach is then in control of it. Yeah. yeah. A, a point some people make is to say that there's no natural breaks in football but you know I, th- I think the reason is people rolling around and there's injuries there is there is breaks in the game so it wouldn't be a massive problem checking providing you know they could turn it over quickly enough yeah. but generally speaking I'm still not interested yeah um, and the other one that, that I must admit you know and, and I'm a die hard football fan as you expect but even I found myself getting a bit tired of not just the diving because I don't think I don't think diving was as widespread as what you call hmm. simulation, as in a tiny bit of contact and players flinging themselves on the floor when they could quite easily have stayed on their feet. Hmm. You know, players getting touched around the chest and going down, holding their head. Yeah. You know, and blatant trying to milk fouls to to, to get other players booked or sent off. Yeah. And that to me is worse than you know, it, it is more widespread than just diving. And and another thing that you see a lot of now is players pushing the ball past the defender and then jumping into him as yeah. if the defender's sort of like, you know, collected him and blocked his run and, and I mean where, where what can we do with this? Because it, it is reaching the point now where I'm getting annoyed with it, and I'm a, you know, I'm a massive football fan. People yeah. that are those floating voters that are critical to success of the game, you must watch it and just get so frustrated with it and just. It's think, one of the main bother? criticisms in Australia is if the diving. Yeah. The main thing to stamp it out probably retrospective video. Yep. Uh, punishments, you know, going back and saying, well, look, you clearly weren't touched there, or yep. you know, like the Rivaldo, uh, Rivaldo instance, ideal. If you go back and start punishing them then and start giving them, you know, cards once the game's finished or suspensions, they'll soon stop. I've got another idea on that. We're right. thinking about it. So I've been working on my blueprint for football. <laughs> for, um, I think one of the problems with that <coughs> is that we think of penalties in terms of games. Mm. Yeah, so you get banned for a game, get banned for two games. What about if the match review panel sat at the end of every game and looked at it and the game was actually broken up into smaller segments? So let's say it was, it was broken up into a quarter. 
It's getting very American. No, 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 no. The, right. the match, so, so, centre forward dives yeah. or overstimulates, but it's not really bad. He just tried to milk it for what it was, and you're trying to cut that side of it out. Mm. You ban him for the first quarter of the game, right, the next okay. game. So, it's a double penalty really for his side because. A, he can't be in the starting lineup, so you have to name someone that's presumably not as good. Yep. And the same, to get him on the pitch, you've got to use one of your substitutions. Yep. So, but after, you know, after 22 and a half minutes, that guy's able to come back on the pitch. Yeah. So it gives you gradients that you can work with rather than whole games. So it's like it might be a half, so a player can't play in the first half. Yeah. You know, so all of a sudden, you might be missing three good players mm. for the first half, Yeah. which then gives the other side an advantage that you're playing. It gives the three players a bloody good lesson not to do it again, mm. and it gives the coach an extra challenge, which is, do I bring these guys on and use all my substitutions mm. or whatever? So I just think, again, you know, I think if we're going to do it, we do have to start punishing these people. But I don't think it's as clear-cut as, right, it, you miss in a game. I think that's probably mm. too much, and I think that's why they haven't done it. Mm. Uh, and also, you, you can still see, yeah, I mean, you know, that, that's President, a fi- El Presidente. fine idea. But the only thing, even once you've got video replays and you go super slow-mo and stuff like that, you can't always tell if it was a dive or not, you know? You can't always tell. So it's not 100% conclusive. No, and, and but... What's the criteria? If we, st- you know, as long as you, st- you know, if you start... Yeah, you know, maybe you carry that over. You say, oh, "We're not 100% clear." If you, you know, if you do it again, yeah, suspended sentence, bang, it's it's up to the next one. Yeah, or if they don't bring in any new rules, why don't we just start diving? Because it's well, it's seen as un-Australian. I to know, do it. but but that's the problem. This is the biggest problem I think is that the longer it goes unpunished, and the longer refs keep giving free kicks mm. for players that fall over legs that are there when they could quite easily stay on their feet yeah. keep giving free kicks for players jumping into defenders mm. then everyone's going to do it yeah. because they're professional it's their job mm. you know it's their job if someone finds a way of being successful that isn't being punished that is therefore legal and, mm. and, and, and accepted everyone's going to start doing it because if you don't you're not as good at your job yeah. as the next person yeah. and if you're getting if other teams are getting free kicks 25 yards out by doing it mm. then you, everyone will do it and understandably so mm. the only way they're going to do it is is to start punishing it or the other way I think is incentivising people not to go down Yeah. and I think one of the ways and I think we touched on this the other week was to bring in the rugby union type advantage law mm. whereby referees are allow the play to continue Mm. Um, for a na- you know for a natural period that might be you know like one phase of play and if there's no advantage coming then they go back and mm. we saw that in the World Cup final Iron yeah. Robin tried to stay on his feet when clearly fouled mm. then went through missed the shot why not allow the ref to go back and give the foul so reward the guy for staying on his feet by allowing him to go and have the shot but if yeah. he misses and there is no advantage from staying on his feet he goes back and gets the free kick anyway. Yeah. Maybe if that was the case, we'd see more players try and stay on their feet because get two there's a double chance. Yeah, exactly. Another uh, thing I say diving, like, we talk about it a lot in Australia and they talk about it a lot in, in England, but that's not the attitude around the world. And if there's going to be a change, it would have to come in yeah, around the world. Yeah. But, you know, in South America, you know, I, I read a comment once that people are saying it, it's, it's great to win a game with a penny. It's even better if you've cheated with a dive to get the penny and then you score. And if there's that attitude in, in South America and you'd say it would be the same across a lot of European nations that aren't that against it, you just can't see these sort of radical things coming in. Yeah. Well, anyway, well, there's our uh, 
there's our two pennyworth. worth. Let's hope Sepp Blatter is uh, listening on iTunes. Sepp, yeah. uh, give us a call if you want us to uh, to come on board as consultants. But that's, uh, that's our longest period of being serious in the podcast. It is. I think was it. So look, well, obviously, if you're listening to this and you've got, you know, you want your say on video technology or what can be done for diving, obviously there'll be the comments section at the end of the uh, story where this podcast is linked to. So uh, have your say. Let us know what you think. Um, and we'll we'll publish the and we'll talk about some of the uh, suggestions that you've got next week. I've, I think we get more people comment on our podcast stories because we know the amount of people listening to it. People are almost scared, aren't they? To I know they're worried. I think we're going to slate them on air and there's nothing they can do about yeah, it. Exactly. But we, we promise we won't. So if you've got something you want us to talk about, then let us know. All right. Well, thanks a lot for joining us. A little bit shorter than last week, thankfully. Um, so <laughs> won't bust your download caps getting this week's four four two inside a podcast. Thanks, Trev. You've been no listening worries. to Trevor Chahal, editor, and Andy Jackson, publisher, and we'll see you next week for next week's 442 Insider podcast. 442 Insider is a Helms Media Solutions production. Visit helms.com.au to find out more about our services.